Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. So we're in the season of Advent. Advent is a word that means coming. And we reflect back on the Lord's first coming, but we're also called to prepare for his second coming. The word tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, and the word will just be up on the screen for you, that as Jesus ascended into heaven in front of his disciples, they were straining to see him rising into heaven, and two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday... He will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So we are called as a people to be prepared for when he returns. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but our hearts need to be ready for him. So what does it mean to be prepared? There are various ways in life that we prepare. I think of people who live in disaster zones or hurricane zones like Florida, where they prepare and have things ready in case of a hurricane, or in other countries where there's tornadoes or floods, they get ready as best as they know how. There's things in life we prepare for. Education, weddings, life changes, the birth of a baby. There's lots of things we prepare for. If we build a house, the land has to be cleared first and a foundation laid, and then the house built upon that foundation. Well, in the Greek, there's a word called etomazo, etoimazo. And it means to make necessary preparations. But metaphorically, it was drawn from the Oriental custom that before kings went on a journey, there would be people who would go and level the ground and make the roads passable because some of them were very uh, turbulent and bumpy and so on. And so we talk even in the prophets where they say that every mountain will be laid low and the valleys will be raised up because it's to prepare the way for a king. And we are similarly meant to prepare the way. So when we look back at the lighting of the candle, we were talking about a man called John the Baptist. Now, who was John the Baptist? There were prophets of old, Isaiah and Malachi. They both spoke of his coming. For 400 years, there had been silence before John the Baptist appeared. This was the time between the Old and the New Testaments. And then John appeared to prepare the way of the Lord at his first coming. The prophet Malachi ends with these powerful words, closing both the book that he wrote and the Old Testament with the hope of what was still to come. So in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. In the Gospel of Luke, the ministry of John the Baptist is situated in history. It really happened. It's not just a nice story for us to read. So he actually came on the scene in about the year 27. And he's seen as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. So if you'll take your Bibles, if you have them with you, uh, the words will be on the screen. And let's turn to Luke chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. So if you want to take a minute and find that. 
And this is situating John in history. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Licinius was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes who warned you to flee God's coming wrath. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. So we're told that John the Baptist was the immediate forerunner of Jesus. He was sent by God to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. In the Gospel of John, John admits to being the prophet that Isaiah refers to as the voice in the wilderness. Now, some connect him with a group of people called the Essenes, which was a specific sect that lived by the Jordan River, and they were known for their ascetic habits and the location that they, they lived in. He might have been influenced by them in the early stages of his life, but his ministry was far greater. John's role was essentially prophetic. The sects of the Essenes was mostly esoteric. They had a message meant for a select group of people. John issued a public call to repentance. The sect withdrew to the desert, but John proclaimed an exhibition of repentance in the affairs of ordinary life. The sect required submission to the rigor of its ascetic life, which involved severe discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence. And John introduced the Messiah while the Essenes still waited for his manifestation. So when we heard in the reading today that John lived as a Nazarite. Now in Numbers chapter 6, it talks about what a Nazarite is. It's somebody who takes a vow consecrated to the service of God and under vows abstain from alcohol. They allow their hair to grow and they avoid defilement by not contact with, with any dead bodies. And they live in a desert, they live away. But John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Now, he was a little bit of a strange character. He was dressed in camel hair, he ate locusts, and his hair, now picture as a Nazarite, his hair would have been really long. He was a bit of a, I don't know, funny looking fellow to most of us, right? But he was fulfilling the purpose of God in his life. Now, John's message had twofold importance, twofold emphasis. He was first talking about the imminent appearance of the messianic kingdom that was going to break through. But he also called for the urgent need for repentance to prepare for that event. The main theme of his preaching was the approach of the messianic age. 
and the need for adequate spiritual preparation to be ready for it. His mission was to prepare the people for the coming, for the advent of the Messiah, so that when Jesus made his appearance, they would recognize and accept him. Now, in that time, many expected, or the popular opinion was, the Messiah was going to come. They were living under all these foreign rulers that I just finished talking about um, from Rome, and they were hoping for someone who would deliver them, who would uh, throw off all the oppression they were under. Today, we live under sin, and we long for someone to set us free from that sin and, and the burden and the oppression that we have from an enemy that would accuse us of all the things that we've done wrong. So some wondered if John was the Messiah, but he acknowledged that he was the one to call people to be prepared for the ultimate coming of the Messiah. Now, in Luke 3, further down in verses 15 and 16, we're told that everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the multitudes expected that the day of the Lord was going to be happiness for all of Israel, banking their hope on racial and heritage by birth considerations. In fact, because they were sons of Abraham, they thought they were automatically in. Today, many people think, well, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, they're Christians, so, you know, their prayers, they'll work for me. Unfortunately, each person will answer to God, and they are called to make a decision for themselves based on the evidence of God's word. So, John proclaimed that the kingdom was to be a rule of righteousness, inherited only by those who exhibited righteousness by the way they lived. His message of repentance was directed particularly to the Jew, for God was going to purge Israel as well as the world. And many Jews, especially the Pharisees, thought that they would enter the kingdom of God automatically. But it just wasn't so, according to John. John called them to repent sincerely of their sins and to be baptized. So there's a call of repentance that even goes out today. A call that goes out to those who have yet to know Jesus as their Savior, and a call that goes out to those of us who do know Jesus, because each one of us is subject to temptation, and each one of us falls short in different ways. So the word repentance, it means to change direction. It means to turn around. We're also called to that, and it may take a time of isolation for us to consider the direction of our lives as we prepare our hearts for the second coming of Jesus. There's this story that I was reading, and it was about a young man who received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary, and every word out of that bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. The man tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, playing soft music and anything else that he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, the man was fed up, and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back. The man shook the parrot, and the parrot got angrier and even ruder. In desperation, the man threw up his hands, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed, and then suddenly there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd hurt the parrot, 
the man quickly opened the door to the freezer, and the parrot calmly stepped out onto the man's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. The man was stunned at the change in the parrot's attitude, and as he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird continued, may I ask what the turkey did? <laughs> and sometimes it takes us to look at somebody who's in a worse condition than us to be able to know that we need to change. And so God may give us that time of isolation. But John the Baptist was baptizing. So what's the significance of baptism? It's not just enough that we repent. But then the baptism by water in the day of John the Baptist, it signified a break with and a cleansing from sin. It was a symbolic act for the cleansing away of sins, and it was accompanied by repentance. Matthew tells us that they were baptized by him in the River Jordan while confessing fully their sins. Baptism was not new to the Jews. If you go to Israel, they have mikvahs. And mikvahs have a staircase going down and a staircase coming up, and there's water. And when you went down, you were on the dirty side of the stairs. When you were washed, you came back up. And there was ritual washing that had been around since the Old Testament days. But they were basically, there were different washings that prepared them in Levitical law. The Levitical washings were to bring restoration to a former condition. But John's baptism was preparing people for a new condition. His baptism was a baptism of repentance, but not only of water. It was to prepare for the messianic baptism of the Spirit that was anticipated by the prophets. You can read about that in Amos, but he says that there is one greater than I who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So whereas the Jews baptized Gentiles, mostly it was to proselytize. It was mostly to get people to, to come to know God. Um, he called upon both Gentiles and Jews, and this is why the Jews were somewhat offended by John the Baptist, because they were both ceremonially unclean as far as true people of God were concerned. And Jesus insisted that John baptize him to fulfill all righteousness, not because Jesus had to be cleansed from sin, but it's to prepare for the baptism of Jesus. So it's, it's to be explained not as a sign that he needed repentance, but rather that by this act, he was identifying himself with mankind. He was becoming God with us, and it was the proper approach to God's kingdom. And those of us that follow Jesus should follow him through the waters of baptism once we come to know him. And John acknowledged that Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the, takes away the sin of the world. And at this point, once he declared that, John's role as a forerunner was completed in his personal testimony to the fact of Jesus' messiahship. So Paul, in his epistle to the Ephesians, he prays that out of his glorious riches, the Father will strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Jesus. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we spiritually prepared to receive Jesus Christ? Are we ready for his second coming? Years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Robert Boyd Munger, and he wrote a book called My Heart, Christ's Home. If you want to read all of it, you can find it on the internet. 
But basically, it talks about inviting Jesus into our lives. And he talks about, well, Jesus, you can come into the library. The library is my mind. It's where I learn. It's what I'm reading. It's uh, what I'm being taught through various means. But then Jesus may be invited into the dining room. Well, that's the seed of our appetites and our desires. What is it that we look forward to? What is it that we want to feed our bodies and our minds and our spirits? The living room is a quiet place where we can sit and meet with the Lord, curled up by the cozy fireplace, reading his word. Do we meet there daily? The workroom is what you're doing with the equipment and gifts God's given to you. So in your daily lives, do you see God as part of what you are doing in your daily work? The rec room, well, that's where your friendships, your associations, your leisure and playtime are spent. What are you doing when you're out playing? Are you acknowledging God is with you? Are you engaged in healthy relationships? Now we come to the hall closet. Well, we all have skeletons in our closet somewhere along the way, I'm sure. Those are the dead things. The things that won't keep quiet, that keep wanting to be let out, but that we don't want Christ to come in and see. So the only way that we can do this, like we'll go through a house, just like in a house, we go through and we try and keep one room clean. Well, we go to the next room, well, that's dirty now, so another room gets dirty. And we keep trying to go around cleaning up the various rooms. But we're invited to transfer title of our hearts, our home, to Jesus We can't be a victorious Christian in our own strength. We have to stop treating Christ simply as a guest. We need to give him ownership and let him take his rightful place as master of the house. So we need Christ to settle down and be at home in our hearts as Lord of all. So God's timing is perfect in our lives. He still calls each one of us to that place of repentance. We need to stop and check the situation and direction and affection of our hearts. He offers the free gift of forgiveness and salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. Once we acknowledge where we've been going in the wrong direction and turn around to repent and express our desire to accept the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't expect us to do this on our own. It's a free gift. We receive him by just acknowledging that we're not on the right path and we need his help. So we need our willingness to live for his purposes. John the Baptist was a strong and humble leader. He did not let anything get in the way of keeping his heart set on Christ. What do you have that's keeping you away from being able to surrender it all to Christ? God's purpose for John was to point others to Christ speaking the truth, even when it wasn't popular or in agreement with the thinking of others in his time. He didn't fear the religious or political leaders of his day, And he was ultimately beheaded for his faith, for speaking out against things that were wrong. Again, you can read that in the gospel. So today, we, all of us, including me, have an opportunity to continue to prepare ourselves as we look forward to Christmas and the first coming, but also look forward to the second coming. We need time to examine our hearts, and we need to repent, and we need to invite the Holy Spirit and allow God to strengthen us for his purposes as we turn to him. So like a house, we have to clear the land. We have to lay that foundation of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, the name of our church. But we need to build the walls with the teachings from his word. So I would invite anyone who's here today who may not know Jesus as their savior, 
I would like you to consider getting to know this man. He's gentle, he's humble, he will not force his way into your heart. He will knock at the door of your heart, and he invites you to open that door and invite him in to every area. So if you take a moment and bow your heads with me, I would just like, by a show of hands, every eye closed, who would appreciate knowing Jesus, being able to surrender those things in your life that hold you back, that are stumbling blocks? And who would like to accept Jesus as their Savior, perhaps for the first time? Just show by a raising of your hand. Who here today would like prayer? For areas in their lives that are struggling. Areas where you know that God hasn't been in first place. He's not on the throne of your heart. Would you like to invite him to be king of your life, to be master of your house, your heart? If so, let's say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I have not been traveling the way you would have me travel. I have missed the mark, and I repent I turn around and look to you for strength for each day. And I pray, Father, that Jesus would enter my heart and become master of every part of the house of my heart. And I just ask that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.